Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian. Yes, sir. Ooh, we have a wonderful and powerful show tonight. Yes, we do. I'm excited. I'm excited because I've been waiting on this show. I've been waiting to have this guest by ourselves, Brian. We have her for one full hour by ourselves. Yeah, buddy. I tell you what, <laughs> you know, I, I think people are going to learn a lot tonight. People are going to, you know, have some wounds healed tonight. That's what I, I truly believe, mm. you know, because we're going to start opening up these wounds for healing. You know, too many times people cover up those wounds and they never let them breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, so tonight it's time to let those wounds heal. And, you know, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're going to learn in just a short time because we have our guest on with us, and she's going to be with us just in about two minutes, I would say. But, Greg, you know, when people go through those types of things, when they go through those types of uh, that type of hurt, that you know that, that we're going to discuss tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think really goes through their minds as they really find out about other people who go through that? You know what? I think that they think it's an embarrassing moment in their life, which it is. I think that they think everybody that they come in contact with, I believe that they think that that person knows which that person doesn't. I think that that ugliness that has happened in their life I think it's controlling them from a child all the way up to an adult. But, Brian, the person that we have on tonight, she's not supposed to be here, Brian. She was left for dead a long time ago. Uh She's a survivor. She's a victor. She's walking in victory. She's powerful. She's beautiful. And, Brian, if you saw her with you and I, we've seen her, all you have to do is go to the front of Blog Talk Radio, look at the picture, when you look at that picture, you're not going to see the same person that went through all of the ugliness. You won't see a stain on her anywhere. She hmm. made it, and she's not the only one that can make it. If you're listening tonight and you've gone through some ugly times in your life, you have to make a choice that your life is going to get better. You have that power. She had that power. Did she suffer? Yes. Did she think she was going to go crazy and lose her mind? Yes. Did she probably think about suicide and ending it all that would probably make it better? Probably so. But, Brian, she's here. She's not keeping it to herself. And I think her being transparent is going to deliver and give others a solution to their problems. Absolutely, absolutely. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce everyone to Ms. April Mason, who is the author of five books, five books. And I want to tell you what those books are. The one we're going to talk about tonight, as well as the movement, is Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me. She also has books called uh, entitled God's Way to Forgiveness, April Mason, Choose to Prosper, how to Establish Your Business Without Using Personal Credit, the Business Edition and Ministry Edition, and How to Start a Gift Basket Business. And, you know, I've just, every time I talk to April, I'm just, you know, in awe of the things that she has going on because every time we talk to her, she's got something else going on, and it's like, wow, how do you fit all these talents into one person? You know, and then she still has time to, you know, talk to us on the radio. She does her thing, you know, but she's always, she's always busy. Mm-hmm. But we're going to bring April on. April, are you there? Yes, I am, um, Brian and Greg. Thanks for having me tonight. April. Our pleasure. <laughs> so talk to us, April. What what What's the Broken But Not Bound movement? Broken Not Bound Movement is designed to empower, encourage, and equip those that have dealt with um, a molestation and abuse. What I've learned in my journey is 
and you can't deal with your issues from where you are right now. You have to deal with your past first. And most people, they don't want to deal with it. Most, some of them won't even acknowledge the fact that some tragedy has went on in their life. So the Broken But Not Down movement is to get those, to get people to release the past and embrace the future. Because if you notice, in life, nine times out of ten when something happens in your life, it's always blamed on someone else. Well, I didn't get as far as I could because my mom didn't do this, or my dad didn't tell me this, or I shouldn't do this, or I didn't know to do that because of what someone else did not or did to you. So we have, once we get to the point to where we stop blaming, we acknowledge our past, we acknowledge what happened, and we honestly, truly release the past, that then and only then can we really embrace the future. Most people, they have issues right now because somewhere deep inside they feel like they're not where they're supposed to be. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have not dealt with past issues because you, it's, when I counsel people, whether it's marriage or individual counseling, I tell them, don't come to me if you don't want to deal with your stuff because I can't counsel you from where you are right now. We have to go all the way back to the root of the issue. And, I, and that was only because of how God dealt with it with me. In order for me to get where I needed to go, he had to take me back to my past. And now I, under, I understood from there why I was the way that I was. It wasn't I just was born this way and, and, and I ended up hating myself and, and thinking I was only here um, for what I could give and, and just to be taken advantage of. No, it all stemmed from my past. So the Broken But Not Bound movement is to go out and let people know and empower, encourage, and equip them to release their past and embrace their future, regardless of what's going on in the economy, regardless of what anyone else says. If you release your past for real, the sky is the limit. So that's what the Broken But Not Bound movement is all about. So, April, do you think a lot of women out there are broken and bound? Oh, absolutely, not just women. Um, I counseled, I get just as many men uh, with, with filling up my email box just as, as women. I would say, and this, this is how you can tell, when you go to church and you sit in church, a place where healing is supposed to take place, a place where there's supposed to be power, and you walk out of that place still broken, something is wrong. You're not getting into the, into the presence of God and really letting him heal you. You're still holding on to some things. Even if you're holding on to them subconsciously, you're still holding on to them. Many people are broken. There are not many people in this world that can say they're really truly, I don't believe they can truly say they're really delivered because a lot of people have not dealt with their past. If you look at uh, a lot of the women in our, that are leading our country, that are, you know, head honchos in our country, they may not be married, they may not uh, have children or whatnot, but you can look at them and hear some of the things that they say, and you can tell that they haven't released their past. That's why they haven't gotten into a marriage. That's why they haven't had children, because of things that may have happened to them and their experiences. So they say, instead of me dealing with my past, I just won't allow myself to be loved or be loved, because I refuse to de- allow um, something that God meant to be lovely which the enemy ended up tainting, I, I allowed that experience to make me and shape me into who I am, which I really don't like. And it, it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. We will not deal with our issues. Many people are broken. I mean, marriages are broken. People are broken in, in church. People are broken just all over the place because we refuse to deal honestly with our own issues. Because when you start dealing with issues, my motto is, they say the truth will set you free, the, the truth will piss you off. Because that means now you have to deal with you. And most people don't really want the truth. They, they, they say they do, and it sounds good, but honestly, most people don't want the truth because the truth will uncover some stuff. And you, why watch women that stay in a relationship that they know are wrong? Well, instead of leaving that relationship, having the strength to leave, they'll stay because they don't want to deal with being alone, the emotional roller coasters, um, not being self-sufficient. They don't want to deal with that. So it's best to just let's deal with where we are and let me function in this dysfunction just so I can say I'm with somebody or just to say I'm taken care of at this point because I don't want to really deal with it because that makes me have to deal with me. April, you know, let's talk a little bit about why you, you know, what 
the underlying reasons for your Broken About Not Bound movement. Now, we know that you were a victim of these same uh, atrocities, as I would like to put it, when you were. Right. So tell us about that. Tell us what happened. Well, um, I was dealt with molestation from the age of 5 to 17, and then from there I had to deal with that. Well, I dealt with it from my first experience with my two female babysitters at the age of five, and then my cousins and stepfather, and then I'm trying to run to find refuge from that and ran into my, met my biological father, and then from that point on, I had to deal with it on even another, a worse level, you know, with him than I did even prior years. So from the age of five to 17, I dealt with that, got into abusive relationships to the point to where you wouldn't even recognize the left side of my face, dealt with rape from someone I was dating, low self-esteem to the point, I mean, I would I would do things that in my mind I'm like, why am I doing this? But because my esteem was so low, I just felt like, well, hey, this is what I have to do. So for me, dealing with all those different emotions, and people don't understand, that's why I, I, I can't stress enough about dealing with the root issues. I remember my mother, she used to say, you were such a, a dark child, you would always, you would never smile, you never laugh. But what she didn't know is that my spirit was broken at the age of five. So when you, when you, it's kind of hard to start uh, put telling people how they are when you don't really understand the root cause. It's always the root cause of a thing. So dealing with that and dealing with jacked relationships and dealing with um, things that people have spoken over my life. I remember a specific incident in the seventh grade, and I, my self-esteem was already low because I didn't have a lot coming up. My mom and my and dad, stepfather, they did the best that they could. My, mom, my mother was the best at using what she had, and I believe that's where I get a lot of my creativity from. But being teased because I, I went to, I was a church girl, what I, they call a church girl. You know, you didn't wear pants, you never wore makeup, and all those were dresses all the doggone time. And from I was teased a lot, and I will never forget in seventh grade I was messing around. We were doing an experiment in science with, by, with acid, and I dropped my acid, and some of it splashed in a girl's eye, and the girl next to her that was helping her said, it had to be you. And from that point, everything stuck with that. Those words stuck with me. So I started to expect bad things to happen, and they did. I started thinking on... Um, negative things and, and how people would treat me and, and even if they hadn't treated me bad at that point, I started thinking about, okay, if I walk into this room, nobody's going to notice me. They're gonna go, all going to make fun of me. What if I get hit, hit by a car? Or what if I get pulled over by a police? And what I noticed is those thoughts, me thinking of those things, those things start to manifest because I was dwelling mm. on them. Mm. So I had to get to a point you know, to where I had to really – just make a decision. And I was on a radio show yesterday, and, and the lady asked me, what was the turning point? Who did you have to guide you? And to be honest with you, it was myself and God. I didn't have anybody that I could just say, girl, I'm going through this and going through that. I didn't have friends. I, I dealt and toiled with this thing all by myself. And, and I was like, well, God, why is why this? You know, why do I have to go through it? Why, why can't I just... Um, be like everybody else. And he, he says, I made you the prototype. There's nobody like you. You are the prototype for what I have for you to do. And I'm like, well, can I get a look, some guidance? Some guidance? You know, is there a book I can read? And he said, yeah, the Bible. <laughs> and you go by what I give you. And it was hard. When I tell you it was hard, I found myself in positions where, I, I mean, I'm sitting there screaming and crying, literally. And I remember like on the movie Boys in the Hood when he was fighting the air. I would do that all the time and screaming and hollering. I never allowed my children to see it. But because I had to be strong, everybody knows it was being this strong, 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 strong woman. So I had to be strong. I had to keep my face together. I had to keep everything right. But it was hard. And it wasn't until God really started dealing with me that as I'm going through all these different emotions and different changes and then finally surrendered myself to him that he started opening things up to me. And well, one thing people get um, misconstrued is when you give your life to Christ, it doesn't mean things are going to get easier. Actually, they got harder for me because now it's time for me to get reprogrammed because the April um, that I created was, was not the April that God intended for me to be. So it was hard getting to her. Even though now I love her to death, <laughs> it was hard getting to her because when 
when you start believing what the enemy says, and that's the one thing that I, I try to get my people to understand is the enemy can only input ideas into your mind. Mm. You implement them. He can only give you suggestions, and then you start believing what he's saying. That's where we fall because the scripture says that he's the, the father of lies, meaning he's the creator. He couldn't tell the truth if he wanted to. So anything negative that the enemy is saying to you about you is not true. But when you, everybody that's coming at you is saying the same thing, you start to believe it. But that's when you have to really get uh, closer and deeper to God. You know, April, this is Greg. I want to ask you, you know, when you were a little girl, and you said some ugly things happened at the age of five. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm sure it was probably a family member. That's that's usually the case. Right. And a lot of times when little girls are molested or touched and certain things happen, and they they feel for some reason uh, it's, it's hard, and it's kind of hard for me to, to, to get this out, but to be five years old and to have to try to process mentally something like that, that has to be I, I, that's just bl- mind blowing to me but what i but what I want to get at is when you tell someone a family member, and Brian has heard me say this all the time, there's no hurt like family hurt right when mm-hmm. you tell someone and they don't listen to you or they know that it's happened and they try to ignore it so others won't hear anything about it, and here you are innocent and left with feeling that no one cares that you're being hurt, that no one cares that you're being violated. Right. How tough was that? Well, you know, the thing is, for me, um, I never told anyone, and it was a big, dark family secret. Uh, And once I started telling my story, a lot of things started coming out. But a lot of the uh, ladies that I deal with, actually recently, (laughs) I'll tell you this quick story, I just put a joker in jail behind this foolishness. And the the funniest thing about it, Brian, was the family, after I was, this young lady was brought to me by a pastor friend of mine. She said, April, this is your expertise. I'll be going to shoot shot this guy, and I'm the pastor. She said, so I'm going to give her to you. And when the young lady started telling me that her uncle had raped her and all this stuff, and I said, you know what, we we don't have, this, this is not acceptable. Well, the next day, you know, she told her mom, she told her family members, and they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened, blah, blah, blah. They were loving. They were they were uh, feeling, you know, sorry for her and, and, you know, like, let's go get this guy. Well, the day after that, you know, I told her, I said, all right, we went to the police department. I know it's your uncle, but this this is what this is what we do. This is You cannot continue to allow the enemy to win. So we go and we put him in, um, went to the police department. He's locked up. Well, before before she goes to the police department, her mother was supposed to go with her. Well, her mother decided not to go. She ends up going by herself, and I didn't know or I would have went with her. But the craziest thing is the uncle molested and raped her. Well, it came out that their father used to molest her mother and her aunt. Well, they already knew it. The uncle even admitted that he raped her while he was in jail. He admitted to it, but the family still refused to listen, and they still were upset with her. Long story short, the grandfather knew. Because, I, I, y'all, I was coming after him, no hands down. You're the pastor? Okay, we're getting ready to have the whole church investigated. It came out that he was molesting his children. Uh, he molested his own daughters from the age of 5 to 13. That let me know that he's a very sick individual because he doesn't like fully developed girls. He likes the babies. So we were getting ready to go in and have the whole church investigated. Well, he knew this. Well, a week later, uh, she called me and said, you know, uh, my grandfather's in the hospital. He keeps telling us to come and release him. I said, don't you go to that hospital. You release him, we're going to work that out. The next day he went into a coma. The next day he died. So he imposed his own death because of guilt. And even with that, even with the family knowing what he did to them when they were little, the mother of um, my spiritual daughter says, you killed my father. And if it wasn't for you, he would still be alive. Even though he used to molest and rape them when they were younger, even though their brother raped her daughter, he still died. 
So it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing, you know, dealing with that. And it happens all the time. People will not acknowledge the fact because the thing it's a family it's a family thing. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to break up family. And the whole thing is, and I and I teach when I, when I preach the broken but not bound message, I tell folks what it calls havoc in the family. Absolutely. Why should you walk around feeling like the victim and you didn't do anything wrong, but that the enemy is walking around like he's done nothing? I, I see it. I mean, I get women calling saying they hate going to their family reunions because that uncle that raped him walks around like nothing has happened, and, and the grandmother, all, all she says is, let God handle it. Absolutely, you let God handle it, but, but you have to. The Bible says we're overcome by our testimony. How are you going to allow the enemy to make you uncomfortable? It doesn't work like that. You have to expose the enemy for who he is. Will it cause issues in the family? Absolutely. But at this point, I had to ask my pastor, I said, am I too bold in this? Do, do I speak um, too, too boldly? Because I'm at a place where I refuse to allow the enemy to have control over my life and let people have control over my life. Why am I not going to go to my family reunion? Because you violated me. And why should I feel guilty? I'm not going to. And nobody should. Right. So yeah. I'm, I have a strong conviction about don't, if you don't want it handled, please don't tell me or please do not join Broken Not Found Movement because <laughs> it's going down. <laughs> you know, I want to say, you know, the sad part about it is that, you know, this isn't the first time I've heard this. This isn't even like the fifth or sixth time I've heard this. I've seen and heard these types of things happen to people all the time and it's so crazy because you know you would think well dang it's happening again Mm -hmm. you know i used to watch and i still sometimes will watch dateline is it dateline what what's the show that comes on uh i know what you're talking about yeah and they they catch these guys um trying to talk to little girls over the internet over the internet yeah his name is his name is chris uh oh god i know you're talking about i was just watching him on youtube the other day i love him I don't remember his last name, but I know who you talk talking about. And, and the pedophiles come in thinking they're going to have reason right to have sex with yes. a 13-year-old, and, and I'm whether thinking, it's a boy or a girl. And I'm thinking, wow, dude, do you not watch this? They right. Can, they will catch you. And one guy had been caught more than once. It's a sickness. Wow. By the same group. They was like, as soon as he walked in and he saw the guy, he's like, oh, dang it. He just walked back out and put his hands on his head and got on the ground. Well, you know what you you know what guys what guys showed me with that um, I was um, my book is finished and it's in um, the printing stages and um, I couldn't I couldn't not do this last chapter. Guys, like no, you got to do it. And the book was all done and ready to go and ready to be printed, but I had to hold off because I had to do this last chapter and it's called molestation, homosexuality, and the church. Now. That guy showed me a revelation. I don't know if you guys ever watched this movie called Cover. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. At the end of the movie, the woman asked, the wife asked, because, you know, of course, for you guys that haven't watched it, it's about a husband and wife, and the husband is on the DL. Well, after that, the wife, you know, she, she catches him and all that stuff. I'm not going to get the movie away, but you got to watch the movie, awesome movie. And she says, if I was a better wife, a better Christian, or a better friend, could you have stopped? He said he didn't know. At that moment... What God revealed to me is, no, he could not have stopped because it was a spirit. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that as Christians we are, and we have the authority to cast out unclean spirits. Mm -hmm. He could not stop sleeping with men, even though he wanted to, because that unclean spirit had got a hold of him. And in the Bible it talks about when uh, the disciples were not able to cast out the spirit from the young boy, and, and Jesus said that this kind only comes out by fasting, by uh, uh, prayer and fasting. Now, the thing is, what is going on in our churches? Why is homosexuality running rampant? Why is molestation running rampant? According to the American Psychological Association, the number one reason for homosexuality is molestation. But yet, it's a perverted spirit that we are not casting out. Why? Because those that are in our pulpit, those that are deemed um, an authority or, or whatever you want to call it, they're participating in these acts as well. So you can't expect 
someone dealing in that perverted spirit and dealing in perversion to want to cast out an unclean spirit because they can't. Mm-hmm. So now, after watching that movie and having to write, writing um, that chapter of the book, it opened up so much more to me because now it goes on. Just like you said, the guy, he came back and he was doing it again because he can't stop because of the sickness. No matter how many, how many times you put his behind in jail, no matter how many times you let him go see a shrink and see a therapist, whatnot, at this stage he has a unclean spirit. He is he has a, a, a devil in him that needs to be cast out. There's no other way for him to stop dealing and dabbling in this perversion unless he gets that unclean spirit cast out of it. Certain things now we can you know we can pray and ask God and He'll remove it from us. But just like the Bible says, this this one can only come out by prayer and fasting. Certain things, certain addictions can only be moved by prayer and fasting. So that means as children of Christ, because we all have the authority to cast out unclean spirits. However, are we prayed up and fasted up in order to do what we need to do? Right, right. And nobody wants to touch that <laughs> because it requires you to examine yourself. And who wants to examine themselves? themselves? Who wants to have to say, okay, oh, well, God, I know you instructed us to do this, but I ain't right yet, so I, I'm not, you know, I can't really, you know, deal with this because I'm not right now. Mm. So you know, now it causes you to have to deal, deal with that yourself. Yes. April, you know, um, you said something powerful. I remember you talking about the very first time that you met your father and uh, something took place when you guys met. Right. Um. Well, actually, the thing is, what drove me to want to meet my father was because I, I remember my stepfather tried to discipline me. I said, I know the joker that tries to come in my room at night is not going to try to discipline me. You have to, He has to be losing his rabid mind. This has to be a joke. And I told my mom I wanted to meet my dad. And um, I'm not sure how we got in contact, but uh, we did. Um, and it was cool. Our first meeting um, was great. Everything was, you know, looked just like him, found out he was a politician and ran for mayor, and and, all, and it started opening some things with me to, to let me know, you know, why I thought the way, why I thought the way that I did and, and why I, I operated on a, on a different level than a lot of my peers. Even though I had low self-esteem, um, I still operated different. I thought my thought process was differently. Well, one day... My, I had gotten out of school early, and I said, well, let me go visit. So I went over to visit, and it was a normal visit. Everything was normal. Every, I mean, he was great. We had ice cream, all that great stuff. I was 16 years old. And from that point, the next thing I know, he's sitting next to me, and he has his hand on my leg. Next thing I knew, know, I'm sitting on the bed, stark naked. And I'm like, my my, my process was, I thought I was getting away from this. I thought, you know, this was something I left behind. I'm running trying to get refuge, and I can't get it even here. So immediately I, I became numb because this is what I was used to. This is the type of behavior that I was used to. So um, I remember him rubbing his, fondling me, because when I was in the, I was, I was 16, so I had to be about 10th grade, 10th, 11th grade. I had a pretty much a grown woman's body in, in about the fifth, sixth grade. So I was, I was about five. I've always been five. I've been five, four since the sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade. So I've always been the same height, but I, but I always had a grown woman's body at that age. And from that point, I remember him fondling me and and and, and having me touch him and all that stuff. And after he got his rocks off, that's what I call it. I remember him going to the bathroom and I threw my uh, my clothes on, and I ran about two miles to my cousin's high school. And my cousin's high school, she uh, she her high school looks like a college campus. She actually went to Berkeley High, and it was right up the street from used to Cal Berkeley. And it looked, and I I scoured that campus until I found her. Even and I told her what happened. And I re- I remember catching the bus going home, and uh, my mom I walked in house to have a school, and I said fine. I said I'm a little tired, and I remember getting in a fetal position. And going to sleep on my bed, and then I didn't wake up until time to go to school the next morning. But I never said anything at that point. So now, 
it's kind of like, is this all I'm here for? Am I only here for sexual pleasures? Is that what I was created to be? And what I had to understand is violators have violators. The, first, the, the, the girls that molested me when I was five, they were only about 12, 13 years old. That let me know that some, in order for them to do what they did to me, somebody had to do it to them. To them. Because there's no way. But what people don't understand is when this happens to you, it's like a Microsoft disk or a piece of software. Certain components of that software are downloaded into you, period. So when you put in Microsoft Office, you're getting PowerPoint, you're getting Access, you're getting Groovy, you're getting OneNote, you're getting Word, you're getting all of that downloaded because it's all a part of the program. So now when this happens, when you're dealing with molestation, all of these different emotions and feelings start happening, and you don't know where they came from. I, I remember having my boyfriend right after that at five, and I remember we were arguing over the orange crayon, and I told him I quit you. So now it's kind of like these these thoughts and, and knowing what to say and how to say it and, and all this stuff, it just came apart, became a part of the package. I was introduced to point of masturbation in the third grade. I knew more about sex when I was in fourth, fifth grade than, I, than most grown women because of what I was exposed to. And it was just amazing now that I look back. I'm like, how did I even function? How did I even manage to even be sane and have my sanity going through all of this stuff? And don't forget, I come from a very a religious and spiritual background. So all my uncles are pastors, preachers, apostles, and opera singers, and all that. So I come from a very... Uh, religious family, so you would never expect any of this stuff to be going on. It wasn't like we were out there. and It wasn't like my family was out there letting us have our way and exposing us to all this stuff, um, you know, pornography and all that. Uh-uh. I come from a family that was deep-rooted in the church. And so because of that, let me. I know Greg had a question, but I want to ask this right quick. You know, because of your upbringing, you know, being deeply rooted in the church, you know, how was it – how did they take it when you finally came out and told people about what happened to you? Well, you know what, um, Brian? This re- recently – I just started really coming out, coming out with it last year. Um, the family heard about the book. Some were P.O.'d, <laughs> and some, you know, were like, wow, you know, I'm glad you said that because this is what happened to me. And it was just amazing at some of the stories that my female cousin started coming out the closet with. And um, one of my aunts, she called one of my cousins and said, um, do you know about this book? Did you hear about this book that April's writing? She says, yes. She said, so what are your take on it? She says, Mom, I'm so proud of my cousin. I'm so glad she's doing it and blah, 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 blah. She says, why is she putting the family business out there? And my cousin told her, if it was Bonita Bonham, Paula White, T.D. Jakes, that's saying what she's saying, everybody would pat them on the back and say, you know what, they're so strong. And, but because you guys know who she is, it's an issue. So I had to deal with it um, really heavily in my family. Now my mother, I remember when I let her read the introduction of the book last year, she was like, what? Now she's cool. We're cool. It, it, it opened up some doors and chapters of her life that she had to deal with. Because I'm like, Ma, this spirit is, is not just laying dormant. It, it doesn't just come out of anywhere. It, and then what I, what I realized after doing my research, my stepfather, his side of the family, molestation ran heavily on his side of the family. Found out that my step-uncles have been molesting one of my cousins um, ever since she was like four, and she's like maybe four years older than me now, but she takes Prozac and all kind of medication so she can sleep. Then found out that he was molesting his own niece, his his uh, his great niece. Then um, on my biological father's side, when I was going through my transition, because I've lived in a shelter and I lived in a transitional home, I met a young lady there um, that just so happened to be the niece of uh, my father. And she said, I don't know how we met. I don't remember how his name came up. But she says, oh, girl, the men on that side of the family believe that they're supposed to have sex with the girls before anybody else does. So I had it coming at me on both sides and not understanding what all this was about. And then my cousins, I don't know 
my my cousins that were uh, you know had their fathers or in their, on their side of the family by marriage, I don't know what stemmed you know through their on their side. So we dealt with it heavily. However, we're still in church. We're still you know going. And it's amazing because I, I have been seeing demons cast out of people since I was seven years old. So we still go on praising God, and, and he's wonderful and all this stuff. But our parents, um, from my knowledge, didn't really know what was going on. This majority of the molestation that I know of went on amongst the kids. But we didn't – it stemmed from somewhere. It, didn't just, it just didn't come from anywhere. I know in my household it started with my stepfather. I don't know about my other siblings and my other cousins where it stemmed from for them. But I do know it was a spirit that was um, attached to my family. Wow. So, April, do you think, I'm going to ask this, and a lot of people might think it's a crazy question, but do you think you were chosen for this? Absolutely. Um, when I start telling my story and, and, and when I preach the broken but not bound message and, and, or I'm, I'm a speaker somewhere, most people could not have dealt with what I dealt with. I had children by I had three children by the time I was twenty three. I lived in a shelter, lived in a transitional home. Um, I've dealt with the domestic violence. I've come through some times even in my book, Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me, I even take actual journal entries that I was right that I wrote when I was going through some hard times when the light gas and the light gas and the water was turned off. And I'm sitting there with three kids um under the age of five. I've dealt with all living, you know, in in the, in the hood for the minute and, and trying to do better and, and can't get right and then dealing with abusive relationships. Most people could not deal with what I've dealt with. So I would say I was absolutely chosen for it as well as, like God let me know, he created me to be the prototype because then the thing is I could not go to anybody when I was having my situation because nobody could identify with me. And it was amazing. I was talking to a friend of mine. And I said, you know what, I feel like God's created me to be the woman that I was looking for when I was younger for other people. I said, because now that I look back, I wish I had somebody like myself with the experience and the knowledge and the understanding of what went on to talk to when I was growing up. And I said, God, well, you really, for real, had me go through this for a reason because I really didn't have any help, and I remember when I got, when I went through my divorce, my pastor she says, "April, you're angry, and I want to counsel with you." And I said, "You know what? I'm gonna let you know what's wrong with me. I'm gonna write down what's wrong with me, and you counsel me from there." And in a matter of about thirty minutes, I wrote four pages, which ended up being part of the introduction of my book. And she didn't call me for a couple of days because I know what's wrong with me. And you, if you can fix me, then we can we can talk. If you can't fix me, you need to go ahead and sit down somewhere. Because I'm a solutions-based person. Even when I teach, when I write my, like I wrote how-to books, I need to know the bottom line. What's the bottom line? I don't need you to sugarcoat anything for me. I was one of those women that a man didn't have to take me. Don't try to whine and dine me. If you try to get some, you, and if I want to give it to you now, there's no need to try to whine and dine and talk me into it. I'm going to do what I want to do. So if this is what we're going to do, this is the decision that I'm going to make. The bottom, this is the bottom line. And I've always been that way. It cuts out all the other foolishness. Hmm. So, so, so April, you know, with with you being chosen to do this, I mean, not chosen for this to happen to you. Is, is this why you're so transparent? Because you know that uh, some other people out there are afraid, and they're staying inside, and they're keeping everything locked inside. Do you think that that's why you're so transparent to tell your story, so that? You could probably pull some other women out of that so that they can have a better life. Oh, absolutely! Because what what I learned is when you don't deal with these issues, they will deal with you, and it will have you. It will have your mind jacked up. Well, who would have thought that I would have been, you know, a successful entrepreneur of two companies, getting ready to start my own, my third? Who would have known that I would be able to do some great things if I would not have dealt with my issues? And a lot of people, they desire to do better. They desire to do more, but they can't because they're allowing their past to trap them. I refuse to allow anything and anybody to have that much control over me. And what God has showed me, and I wrote an e-book on it um, called God's Way to Forgiveness, The Five Keys to Forgiveness, is in order to get past your past, you really have to acknowledge it first and then truly forgive. 
Many people say that they forgive and church tell you to forgive, but they won't or they think they do and they really don't know how. And I had to learn the hard way. I had had to have back surgery because I had not forgiven and uh, my unforgiveness and bitterness has started to cause my, my lower disc to deteriorate. After years and years of going to doctors, no one could find anything. And God let me know, this is your doing. You chose not to forgive. And at that moment, you know, when God let me know that I really had to truly forgive, I picked up the phone and called several people that violated me and told them that I forgave them. And what I want to say to the listeners tonight is whoever you God tells you to forgive or whoever you have to forgive, if you have the opportunity to tell them, do not expect them to acknowledge or accept the fact that they did anything to you. Do not accept for them to apologize to you because they won't. It's it's not... Um, for them to forgive you, but it's not for, for them to forgive you, it's for you to forgive them. It's not for you. And, I mean, excuse me, it's not for them, it's for you. Because people say, I didn't want them to apologize. Just apologize, just apologize. They never apologized to Jesus. They never said, oh, dude, my bad, we're sorry for crucifying you, you are the Christ, my bad. You never heard that. But then it actually talks about how God became, Jesus became forgiveness for people, for us. So one of the main keys is to is forgiveness. And once you can forgive and stop blaming people, like I said earlier, most of us blame people because of our past and why we are the way that we are. We blame other people. If my mama would have told me this, if my dad would have did this, if my dad was there, okay, well, that joker wasn't. Okay, well, your mom wasn't there. It's time to stop blaming other people for where your life is going and where you are. It's time out. I get people all the time tell me, well, you're successful because this and that and the other. No, I started my first business with $50 from a welfare check. I am the poster child for not having anything. So I don't like to hear people tell me what they cannot do. It's not possible. With all of the technology, with all of the resources out there, it's all about a choice. Well, you may I have somebody in your life to show you? Absolutely not. I didn't have a role model. I had a role image. My image was a woman that I saw her hair was white. Her makeup was like she had on a bad suit. She had on some rocking shoes, and everything was together, and a briefcase. And that's the woman that I became, not because somebody talked me into it, but because of the choice that I made. My family, I didn't, I grew up in the hood, semi in the hood. Um, I grew around a lot of, not the best, living not, not, a lot of, not of the best areas. However, my mother still instilled some powerful uh things in myself. I'm the oldest of six. And even though we might have lived in the hood at times, we didn't have a hood mentality. So I had to make the choice to change my life. I don't care when people say, well, sometimes some things uh, you only see, you, that you don't have those type of things. You don't have those role models in the hood. Well, if African Americans are said to watch the most um, number of hours of television, there are some positive black folks that you see on TV. So you have to make the choice of wanting to change your life. You have to make the choice as a woman to keep your legs closed and decide, I'm not going to sleep with every time digging hair. You have to make the choice as a man to respect yourself and say that I'm not going to have babies all over the doggone place. It's not about being a pimp. It's not about all of who got the biggest booty because in our community, that's what women feel like their value comes from because I have a rocking body. That is where, that's my value. That's my self-worth. So it's up to us to make a choice. And if you want respect, you have to respect yourself. One of the things that really ticks me off is watching the television shows like 106 and Park and MTV and all this crap, and you have all these booty-shaking videos, and you have all these women degrading themselves, and in the studio audience, all you have is these young girls. Now these girls think that... All they have to do is shake a tail feather. T, I got this song called You Can Have Whatever You Like. And I was explaining to my daughter, yeah, this joker said you can have whatever you like. But what did he say? He said something about her booty is this, her butt is that, and you can. I, I want your body, I need your body. Yeah, you can have whatever you like, but he wants your body, and he's saying he needs your body. So you're trading off something. You're not just getting whatever you like just because he likes you and you have a cute smile. Absolutely not. So now our society is over-sexualizing everything, and now these young girls are getting more, becoming more sexual promiscuous. 
at a younger ages, and a lot of them, when I go into the schools and to the communities, they have been molested by their mother's boyfriend because their mama has been molested or dealt with some stuff, and now they're bringing, because they want to have a man around, they're bringing these men into their lives. So, oh, this is your new uncle or this is your new your cousin or whatnot, and these men are molesting these young girls. So now you have a high school and elementary schools and even middle schools full of young girls that are being molested and dealing with molestation, and now you have on television, they're showing, well, all you got to do is have a big old booty and some nice breasts and, and, and a pretty smile and a long weed, and you can have what you want. And it makes them feel like, oh, well, this is all I have anyway, because I remember that man that mama brought into the house or my daddy or my uncle or the dude up the street, that's all he wanted for me anyway. So if I can get some other stuff, you know, I'm already exposed to this, so this means if I let this one do this, that, and the other, I can have whatever I want anyway. So let's make it happen. You know, April, exactly. I was just, I was just uh, thinking about how I was watching uh, the news this morning, and they were talking about how all these kids now, that's, I think that a study said that one in five girls and just as many boys have taken nude pictures um, and sent them to their friends and people over the Internet, over their yep. cell phone, through their cell phones. Uh-huh. And, you know, it made me think about the fact that, you know, a lot of these kids that are doing these things, you know, it could be a cry for help. Absolutely. Or it, could, or it could be just that they have become so used to the, you know, how, how can I say this? I, won't, I don't want to say the status quo, but it that's become the status quo in their life, where they right. feel they need to do this in order to gain popularity, gain friendship, you know, gain favor. When you, you know what, my son, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell this story. My son is 12 years old, and um, one day he was on my, um, I think it was on my computer, because they have uh, parental guidance on their computer. And I just happened, I checked my kids' emails and all that kind of stuff, and he he made a, a rude comment to a young lady talking about what he would do to her. And I said, okay, I, I didn't yell, I didn't scream. I said, boy, <laughs> come here. <laughs> come here, player. We, we need to sit down, honey. We, Mama, we need to have a talk. And I said, honey, why did you tell her this? He says, well, Mom, first he tried to deny it. I'm like, dude, you, you can't get anything past me. So... Let's man, man up since you, you want to be a man and say man stuff. I said, why did you say this to this girl? He says, well, my friend in school says that I'm a lame, and I watch how the other boys talk to the girls in school, and this is, they get girls by talking to girls this way. And I'm like, well, no son of mine will talk to girls this way. And he didn't want to feel like he was, what they were calling him, and that was Elaine. Hmm. So it, it's so much stuff going on out there. And, I mean, I had to go speak at um, a, a Christian college out in Texas because uh, actually I didn't tell anybody, but I'm in town. I'm in Atlanta for the holidays, relaxing with the family. And I just got here just chilling out a little bit. But I was in, when I was in Texas a couple weeks ago, um, I went to this school and, and this college and and they have this upward bound program with a lot of the young girls and guys going into college, getting ready to go into college. And oh my goodness, the stories that I got afterwards, it was just heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could just kind of take them all and have a big old mansion and say, come on, you, you, come, just come on in, just come on in, I would. Because it's. There's so many hurting kids. My daughter, uh, she's one of the advice columnists at her high school, and, you know, she lets me read. She has this note, this binder that goes around the school because she's like, Mama, people always say I'm a preacher. <laughs> I'm just like you. They always come to me for advice. But she has this book, this notebook, and people, the kids in the school write down their issues, and they give them to her to answer. One day, she, I guess it was a problem. She didn't really know how to answer, and I started reading through it. These kids are dealing with serious, serious one young girl was saying my mom had to put out a restraining order on my dad and, and all kind of just stuff. And 
a lot of them are acting out because what's going in their, on in their homes, mamas are not being mamas and daddies aren't being daddies anymore. So if they're not trained and they don't know how because their moms don't know how, where, where do we stand? And a lot of the kids that I talk to, molestation is the number one thing that they've had to deal with. It's just, I have one young lady now that I'm working with. She's 18 and has been molested from the age of, I think, 5 to 17. Uh, and dealing with some a lot of stuff. I mean, just kind of jacked up a little bit in the head. But she wants more. She wants to do right. You know, she wants to shake this thing. So that's, it's amazing. That's powerful because, you know, a lot of women out there, they're, they're, they won't tell anyone about what happened to them. So it's kind of right. like they're stuck with it. And 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 it's affecting their relationship with their now boyfriend and husband. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, what I see uh, is, especially with, with marriages and some of the ladies that I counsel, they have an issue with certain sexual acts with their husbands. They want to do them. They, they want to please their husbands. They want to be close with their husbands. But because, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, some women can't perform oral, oral sex because their uncles made them do it when they were younger. Wow. Some women can't have sex in, sexual, in certain positions because that's the only way that their dad wanted it. So it, it becomes a uh, very uh, hard issue even for a, a man to deal with. I have men, I had a, a, a wife call me one day and sent me an email and said, I thank you for your ministry because my husband, my husband was, molested, was molested by his mother, his stepfather, his twin sister, his stepbrother, and his biological brother. And it's just crazy. I've had pastors call me and say they've been having perverted thoughts and because their uncles had molested them when they were younger. And these are grown men. These are, uh, you know, men that are in the pulpit struggling with homosexuality, not because they want to, but because of what happened. And, and they're trying to shake it, but it's, kind of, it's a perverted spirit. And it's kind of hard to just shake it just by saying, you know what, I'm going to get over this. No, you don't have to get on your face and really seek God and, and prayer and fasting. It, it has to take place to really get rid of the residue and the aftermath of molestation. Well, you know, April, Brandon, we wanted to talk about your book, but, I, you know, from looking at your pictures, and you're on the front of Blog Talk you know, featured today, I received so many phone calls. I'm getting slammed with so many email messages uh, from MySpace from people that when people look at your picture, they can't see your story. So it's kind of hard for them to say, oh, my goodness, this happened to her. I've seen her on all of MySpace and all over the place doing these things. And one lady said, I've been to a conference or something where you spoke. And she had no idea because she's seen you before. She had no idea just from looking at you that right. she experienced this. <laughs> right. Uh, I get that all the time. It, it, it's amazing because my my kids are taller than me. My some are taller than me. And when I go to their school and things, people are like, you can't have a, uh, a kid in high school and middle school. And you look like you're about 25. And, and my thing with that is, Take it as a compliment because God will restore you. You're not supposed to look like what you've been through. And people that have read the book, even the publishers, because I knew the publisher of the book prior, and when she read the book, she left me a message, and she said, April, I read that book. She said, I had no idea that you have gone through this. She said, you have such a strong presence. Nobody would know. She said, I stayed up till 7 o'clock this morning all night reading this book. She says, I laughed, I cried. She said, I really felt like it was, I was I was in the movie theater watching Waiting to Exhale because she says, I, I had no idea. And a lot of people, when I walk into a room and, you know, I don't walk with my head down anymore. I, I'm very confident because I know who I am and I know what I carry and I don't downplay myself for anybody anymore. I used to play like I was stupid to make other people feel good and I refuse to do that. 
anymore. However, I am I'm probably the most humble person in my position that you'll meet because I understand what it means to, to not have and, and go and lack and, and deal with the issues of life. I call it um, life's mud is what I call it, and I totally understand that. But, no, I absolutely don't look like I've been through all that, and that's, that's God's way of showing, and I believe God used that as a way to show people that he's a restorer. If you want to be restored, he can do it. He's the only one that can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's so funny because it when I start talking, you know, people are looking like, well, I remember I was in, I was at a speaker at the uh, at this conference in D.C. last year, and when I talked about how I was homeless and all this stuff, the audience gasped, and the one guy yelled out in the back. He said, if you ever homeless again, you can come live with me and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just like they just couldn't believe it. And a friend of mine, she tells me all the time, she says, April, your kids act like they were born with silver spoons in their mouth. You would never know that your kids went through a lot of the things that you went through and you guys have been through where you cut, what you've been through because they don't act like it. They don't act impoverished. They don't act like they've lived in a shelter before. They don't act like that. They act like like they grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth. I said, yeah. I said, that's God. I said, that's prayer and God because we've been through some things. You know, we, we've gone without. They've gone without. They they know what it means to not to not have. However, to meet them, you they're like, you got to be kidding. You know, you must have made this book up or you must have made these situations up because from what God has done in my life from then to now, it's a total, total 180. However, I, I never forget where I've come from. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that's the most important thing. Like you said earlier, you know, you don't look like what you've been through, and you know, and you said you shouldn't, and your kids shouldn't either. Mm-hmm. You know, they, Absolutely they really, not. You know, I, I think that you know, kids go through so much already just being youth, and for them to have to also endure the pain that you know that an adult would be going through. You know, I know. If it was me, I would want to. I would hope to shield all the pain and hurt away from my kids. You know, it made me think about the movie uh, Meet the Browns, where the mother didn't want the kids to struggle. You know, and it was because you know she struggled. She didn't want them struggling. She didn't want them having to grow. You know, up hurting like she had to grow up and hurt. You know what I mean? Right. And my thing is, I never let my kids see me break down. Uh, I, my youngest son, though, he's very keen on if some of my face isn't looking right, and, and he he calls he's himself my little protector. He's ten, and I remember I was sitting there one day and I was looking a little sad, and he said he has a very deep voice, and he says, "Mom, are you okay?" I'm like, "I'm fine, Corey. Are you sure, Mom?" I'm like, "I'm positive, Jay." Okay, but he wouldn't leave the room. He sat at my feet. I was on my computer, um, and he sat at my feet and got a book, and he just sat there. And, and he had this look like, no, something is not all the way right. But I, I never let my kids see me, like, in total breakdown mode. They, they, they've never seen that. I'll wait till they go to bed or um, mm-hmm. they, they can tell when things may have bothered me, but when I'm just going straight left and screaming and hollering and kicking like I'm a school brat, like that, do something, they, no, they, <laughs> I'm shielding them um, from that. But And I thank God that I've always had a very supportive family, my family had to understand that I had to go through this, not for me, but for every, every other life and every life that God has allowed me to tell my testimony to. Mm-hmm. I had to go through this, and they had to understand, let me go my road because this is what God has for me. And now the ones in my family that dog me out where I go back home to California, they're bragging left and right. It's like, this is my niece. This is my cousin. I'm like, you got to be joking, but I love them anyway. <laughs> April, real quick, we got a little over a minute left. I wanted to get the information on your book and also your contact information, if you would give that to us. Sure. Um, the book is called Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me. It's, it, it will be released this month. And actually, if you pre-order the book, you will be able to get a free CD that we will be releasing um, at the top of the spring, which has it's Broken But Not Bound Volume 1. It's an inspirational CD, and it's going to have some of the hottest um, neo-soul um, and gospel artists, your favorite folks on it. God bless me to be able to connect with some major, major heavy hitters, and you'll be able to get that 
for free if you pre-order, if you go to aprilmasonministries.com. Also, uh, you can reach me on MySpace, myspace.com slash woman of wonders with the S on the end. And if you are in the Atlanta area on the 18th, 17th and 18th of uh, December, which is next week, I will be doing a uh, Broken But Not Bound uh, empowerment message, empowerment service, as well as another one called entitled No More Lack because it's time for us to stop living in lack. So if you're in Atlanta, go to AprilMasonMinistries.com and you'll be able to find out more information about that. I want to see you. I want to meet you. I want to give you a hug and all that good stuff because we cannot go into 2009 carrying the same garbage or you're going to have another year the same way you had this year and the year before that and the year before that. So you can reach me um, those ways. And uh, BrokenButNotBound.com will be up and running uh, at the top of next week. So you can join the movement. We're looking for people that are bold enough to want to walk the streets and go into the strip clubs and pull these women out and just do what we have to do and beat the streets to make sure people know that they may be broken, but they're never bound. All right, ladies and gentlemen, April Mason. And we thank you again for joining us. Please come back and join us again on Monday, and that will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That being said, you've been listening to the Southern Solutions Hour, where we hope you have been able to be more, do more, and have more. Good evening, and God bless you.